Blog Talk Radio. Today's edition of the Cheapest Mail presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosar. This is episode 10, 10th, 10th episode of the relaunch of the Cheapest Mail here on Block Talk Radio. And we've got a great guest today. Let's bring him in now. He is a, he's a football agent based out of Charleston, South Carolina for Atkinson Sports. And if they remade Jerry Maguire today, the movie's going to be about him. My guest today, Austin Atkinson. Austin, how are you doing? Brian, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Uh, Known you for a few years now, uh, written up some scouting reports for a few of your clients, uh, or about a few of your clients, I should say. So I wanted to touch base with you about how they're uh, how they're doing. We're going to start with uh, Kofi Amasia with the Packers. Uh, Kofi, he's uh, it, it's Amici is how you pronounce it, and he's actually uh, you know gearing up for training. Yeah, he's gearing up for training camp. Uh, starting here, uh, gosh, before too long, <laughs> um, he'll be in a battle, uh, at the guard center spot, um, kind of a flexible guy. You know, he played left tackle in college, but what they like to do up there in green Bay is take those athletic left tackles and turn them into interior guys. So, uh, you'll see him getting rotations in training camp at, at most likely guard and center. And then, yeah, I got a couple guys out of this year, out of the 2018 draft class. I got Alan Knott out of the University of South Carolina, and he is out there with the San Francisco 49ers, um, expecting him to compete for the backup center spot this year. Um, and then I've, staying in the Bay Area, I've got Ryan Juracek out of Marshall University. He was a heralded uh, tight end for Marshall, but he is now a fullback slash H-back at the next level with the Oakland Raiders. So he will be out there competing for that spot as well in training camp. Yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a successful H-back in the league just with his uh, his route running and receiving skills. Um, and his, the main and he's got amazing happy. hands, too. <laughs> That is a that is a fact. That is a fact. Uh, the main reason I want to have you on today is I want to discuss these two new spring leagues that are starting up. We got the Alliance of American Football starting up in February of nineteen, and we're going to have the relaunch of the XFL in twenty twenty. From an agent's point of view, I want to tell me what you. I want you to pro and con this thing for these leagues. Okay. Well, it just. It, So let's back up a second and put a little perspective on this for your listeners that maybe don't realize just how many spring leagues have tried to have appeared and disappeared in the last decade. This, this will be my seventh draft coming up in, in 2019. And during the last uh, seven years, I have seen at least half a dozen leagues, you know, proposed spring leagues come and go. And none of them have been successful ultimately. So there's a lot of trepidation out there in the agent community anytime somebody mentions a new spring league. Now, the difference here is with the, with the Alliance and with the XFL, first of all, we all remember the XFL because uh, at least that was, that was in existence before. Uh, with the Alliance, you've got a staggering amount of former NFL executives 
that are running these teams. Um, and, you know, I know you're located down there in lower Alabama, and you got a guy like Phil Savage who's had a great run with the Senior Bowl in Mobile. He's, he's going to be out as the GM of the Phoenix franchise in the Alliance. So for guys like that, guys like Phil and other guys around the league, to, to step away from, from uh, a position like that and go to a startup spring league, that gives me a lot, of, a lot of hope as an agent because if those guys are willing to jump in, then I'm a little more willing to send my players to maybe their combine or their tryouts or, um, uh, you know, otherwise steer them there, maybe instead of going up to Canada. Right, and and just based off what we're reading and what we've been told, the pay structure seems to be on par uh, or pretty close to the CFL, so I imagine that's got to be pretty tantalizing for some of your uh, clients. It is, especially uh, I did not have a player in the CFL this past season, but the year before I had a player in Montreal and I had one in Saskatchewan, and both of them, uh, the starting salaries were around, let's say, $55,000, that's U.S. dollars. And you're looking at the Alliance and the XFL now talking about average contracts being around $75,000. So that's a nice little bump, not to mention not having to worry about a passport, uh, maybe not having to worry about cold weather as much, and getting to play in front of, uh, you know, maybe your friends and family, uh, which is a little bit harder to do if you're off in Canada. Well, and that's that's another, uh, I think, a win for the Alliance is uh, which they they announced how their allocation system was going to work, and basically, you know, let's just let's just use a guy like Alan Knott for an example. Let's say Alan Knott mm-hmm. is, is doesn't make it with the 49ers this year. Well, let's say he makes it in the Alliance. We know he's going to play in Birmingham. So, I mean, that's right. that's got to be a win, I think. Yeah, that is, and, and you know, he he's a he's a native Georgian. So, to to be able to be not far from friends, and, and of course the SEC fans that are around the Birmingham market, I'm, you know, are probably very familiar with a player from South Carolina, whereas maybe they don't know as much about a guy from the West Coast. So I like the allocation system that the Alliance has has uh, released recently here, and I guess it just remains to be seen how the XFL is going to do their allocations or if they're going to follow a similar uh, similar program there. Right. Now, the other thing I saw about the Alliance was they basically have three-year contracts, but they're non-guaranteed, but they all have mm-hmm. an out to the NFL, but they don't have an out right. to the XFL. So, to me, they have that – they're going to have that one-year advantage on the XFL, and I don't know if that's going to hurt uh, Vince McMahon's league or not. Um, so well, I, I guess, guess being first to market uh, in a lot of things is, a, is an advantage, uh, but we'll just see how it shakes out. So, I guess I guess – Let's just tie a bow on that. Uh, do you feel that the Alliance and or the XFL, can they sustain long-term success? I think they can. Uh, we, we have seen over and over again that there is an appetite for football, uh, especially, uh, you know, I live here in Charleston, South Carolina, so you know, this is a football-crazy state between Clemson and South Carolina fans. Um I think that getting a model where you've got former NFL executives, um, that that in itself shows, um, you know, that, that was smart marketing on their part to go ahead and get those guys and get them in the fold. Um, I, I think it will just come down to how successfully they can 
either launch careers or revive careers from guys who may have had a taste of the NFL briefly. Uh, and if they can continue serving as a, um, you know, a, a farm system above, above, you know, in addition to the college ranks, if they can serve as a farm system where guys can continue to stay, uh, you know, get reps, um, stay strong, stay in shape, and be ready to go jump to a NFL training camp after the Alliance or XFL season is done, then I think it could probably sustain for a while. But, you know, money drives everything. So advertisers are going to be necessary. Uh, people are going to have to buy tickets to the games themselves. Um, but, again, we, we've got another year or so to, to see how this pans out. I think the main thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is, uh, or or should, or hoping to happens is development of offensive linemen because that's been a big issue, uh, in my opinion, of players coming from college and these spread offenses and they get to the NFL and they're just boned because they have right. no idea how to pass block NFL schemes. Right. Yeah, um, that's for sure. That that is a big piece of the puzzle right there. Is is, is you know keeping growth, letting these offensive linemen develop. And not you're not going to learn if you're only in a training camp for two months and maybe you play a few preseason games and then you're out of football for a year before you get a try again. Agreed. Uh, we talked about the senior, but you talked about Phil Savage and senior bowl earlier, earlier, and I don't think a lot of people know or, or, or know that you were one of the main honchos there of the Medal of Honor Bowl a few years ago. I felt that was a game that had better talent accumulation than, than the NFLPA game did, certainly better than what we know as the Tropic Bowl now. Um, so first of all, I just want to go, what is it like getting these players into a game like that? Like, like how, how, What's the process like? Okay, well, uh, if you go back toward, let's say, May or June, okay, we, you know, my, my, my boss, Cal McCombs, he was personnel director, I was deputy director, he and I would sit down and look at all the rising seniors uh, coming up, and, and we would kind of figure out who would be a great prospect for our game. Because you know there's some guys right off the bat that you know they're senior bowl-level players. And you really don't want to waste your time sending them an invitation, uh, maybe a handful of them, but you don't want to waste your time uh, sending that invitation. I, I tell you, we were able – we sent out 143 invitations to the 2015 game to fill out a 104-player roster. So we were pretty good as far as targeting and had a good acceptance rate with our guys. And we had a little luck with guys not having injuries uh, in bowl games or things like that. So pretty much everybody that accepted was able to come and attend. Um, we drew kind of a geographic circle. It didn't make sense for us to have a lot of West Coast guys being in South Carolina. Um, so luckily we live in a talent-rich area where there's a lot of football programs. So we tried to hit up about a 400, 450-mile radius from Charleston. And now that goes all the way down to Tampa, Florida. That goes out into Alabama. That includes Morgantown, West Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. So there's a lot of great football programs, big and small, within that, that radius. And that's where we wanted to get about 75 to 80% of our roster was from inside that circle. And that's what we were able to do. Um, and, you know, there's, there's still a good number of guys in the league right now that played in that last game in 2015. So we're really proud of, of uh, being able to give those guys the shot that they needed to, uh, to impress the scouts that we had here in Charleston. 
I mean, so I have a so my I guess my question is here: the attendance for the game was good. You had TV mm-hmm. coverage with NBC Sports Network. What happened? Yeah. Well, you know, we played in an in a very old stadium uh, where the visitor stands were, uh, I think, built in 1941, 42, and these were just old bleachers. And they found some structural issues back in, I think, 2016. You had uh, not only did you have structural issues, you had lead paint. And when you start talking about abatement uh, <laughs> options on how to how to either fix that. It was just a very tall task, and because we didn't own the stadium, we were at the mercy of uh, whatever the the ownership was going to do. And they have since torn down one half of the stadium and are in the process of putting uh, putting stuff in the ground and, and getting a new new visitor stands. But right now, we just could, you can't sell sponsorships when you've got your potential attendance cut in almost half because of the, uh, the seating arrangement. And even when you bring in, you talk about maybe bringing in temporary bleachers and stuff, you still needed a place for the, t- the TV people to broadcast. And there's just a lot of things that go into it. So it's kind of out of our hands right now. But I know that our chairman is um, still staying in touch with uh, television networks and, and, and other folks. And, you know, I think once the stadium issue solves itself, um, look, look to see maybe that rebounding in the near future. This isn't. This wouldn't have been a chance to maybe move to a different school or something like that to house the game, or is this that's not well, an option? Our, well, it, the Medal of Honor Bowl is a 501c3, and the primary beneficiary is the National Medal of Honor Museum. Well, the National Medal of Honor Museum is is being built here in Charleston, and when your primary beneficiary is here. Uh, it's a little bit hard <laughs> to pick up and move right, when the right, when right, the, right, right. the very thing yeah the very thing you're supporting is right a few miles from the stadium uh, so it, I wouldn't say it was hamstrung but it is it just made it more difficult and uh, the, the, our chairman and the board just opted to to go idle rather than seek out a new city which is you know we've seen some all star games just move cities multiple times. Um, and we just – our leadership chose not to go that route. Well, I don't know what the distance is between Charleston and Conway without looking it up on Google Maps there, <laughs> but I know the Coastal yeah. Carolina facility looks pretty damn sweet, and that wouldn't yeah. be a, yeah. a bad spot for a game, I guess. No, but, it's uh, not. I that's hope, a, I hope that's an up-and-coming stadium. I hope we get a chance to see the game again soon. I'd love to get up there for it if it happens. Because, uh, like I said, I really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed watching that game on television. It had some great prospects in it. Indeed, we did, and I hope to see it back someday, too. <laughs> well, Austin, I know since you're based in South Carolina, and I'm a uh, Gamecocks uh, fan through and through here, so I'm doing, I've been writing some SEC preview pieces, and for South Carolina's piece coming up, I'm projecting them to go 7-1 and one in the SEC and ten and two overall. Is that crazy or wow. is that achievable? Um, I wouldn't say crazy, considering uh, most Gamecock fans I know are saying similar things. Uh, but I think you got to get it over that Georgia hump early in the season. That's a huge test. Um, I think maybe playing it earlier in the season is a benefit. Uh, maybe catch them, before, <laughs> catch them before uh, you know they, they've got into full uh, season mode there but um, I, I don't I don't think that's 
crazy. But 10, 10 wins is going to be tough overall. The SEC record, um, I think the non-conference schedule is pretty doable. Uh, who do you got? You had Marshall this year coming to town? Is that right? Yeah, Marsh. Yeah, Marshall. Um, yeah. On, got this handy here. We have Marshall, uh, Coastal Carolina is the opener. Yeah. And yep. Chattanooga is the week before Clemson. My two losses, I had them losing to Georgia and losing to Clemson and winning everything else. Yeah. Those were the two yeah. losses. I just don't think they're yeah. ready for – I don't think they can compete with Clemson yet. Yeah, it remains to be seen. Um, I think there are some good O-linemen that are filling in this year. Um, Stanley, Bailey, among others. You've got uh, Debo Samuel back, and he's a giant X factor because we know what he can do with the ball in his hands, um, receiving and in the kick return game. So a guy like that stays healthy. Last season would have probably been totally different. But we know he got hurt. And, you know, uh, the the team was able to still, you know, put out a pretty good season. But you always wonder what would have happened if he'd have been able to play the whole season. Agreed. Um, I think think their skill position players are on par with anybody else in the SEC. That includes Alabama. I I, I fully believe that. But uh, I know uh, you're a – cover the South Carolina high school sports scene, so we're going to stay with the mm-hmm. Gamecock question here. I want to know, sure. is, there, is freshman quarterback to carry on Joyner? Is he the real deal? Wow, he's special. I actually covered two of his games last year for the Post and Courier, um, including their first-round playoff game. And when you see a talent like that at the high school level, the only downside is the guy barely played in the second half that often. Because uh, <laughs> they would roll up to a you know, a 35 nothing lead or, or, or a 42 to seven halftime lead. And you, you, and the coach would usually pull a guy like that in maybe, maybe after the first series of the second half, something like that. Uh, so you, I never got to see him play a complete game. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's just, you know, it's a victim of circumstance. You don't want to get your guy hurt. Now he is, um, he is dynamic. I will say that he can see the field. Uh, I'm very interested to see, I think it's been a while since South Carolina has had a quarterback with that uh, with that skill set. I, I would go back to maybe uh, I don't know a Savelle Newton, Savelle Newton, maybe. Yeah, you know, uh, probably. Although I feel like Joiner might be a little more polished. Um, yeah, you know, and that's probably due to these guys start training at at, at such a young age these days, and they start specializing, and they start getting you know better coaching, and it's just more availability for coaching camps and exposure and, and showcases and all these things that really didn't even exist that as much 15 years ago, 10 plus years ago. Um, so Joiner's kind of had the spotlight on him for a long time. He was able to, um, you know, graduate early and get in there and, and uh, get in the program. And Coach Dillman, I'm sure, is you know getting him stronger and faster. And so I'm, I'm really kind of excited to see what he can do. Now, Bentley is kind of a you know, he's a known commodity, has been around, a coach's son. Um, I still think he is a good quarterback, but it is nice to have a guy like Joyner waiting in the wing. Kind of reminds me of the old yep. – uh, when, when, when Michael Vick – I'm a Virginia Tech fan because that's where my dad went to school. Uh, and I remember when Michael Vick wasn't starting yet, but I tell you, everybody talked about him because the players saw it every day in practice. And – while you had an established, uh, you know, upperclassman quarterback that was fully capable of running the team and, and winning a lot of games, 
you it, it's nice to have this little <laughs> ace in the hole uh, behind that starter. So should anything happen to Bentley, uh, it would not surprise me to see Joyner go in there and be able to confidently uh, lead some drives for that team. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm anxious to see it. if if Bentley can work on the stuff he needs to work on and has a good season like I think he's going to have. Mm-hmm. I could see him entering the draft early, and then we'll see next year. I I would probably say Joyner's probably going to redshirt, but I would anticipate you know him and uh, if Ryan Holinsky, the the kid from Orange, yeah, California, right, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. who's rated I think rivals has 55th overall in the country I mean I think they'll they'll probably be competing uh uh for that job and it's going to be interesting to see uh got a little wrap it up with a couple of uh lifestyle type questions uh I remember last mm-hmm. year you visited uh you did a vacation in Cuba I gotta hear how was mm-hmm. how was that oh my gosh absolutely wonderful I went down there for my 40th birthday my wife and I went down there and uh we stayed in Airbnb the whole time. So um, the way they do it down there, the Airbnbs are known as Casa Particular. And that just means you're, you're living in somebody's house. Uh, and the good part about that is there's somebody that cooks for you every morning. You know, you are, you are <laughs> the first place we stayed was down in Vinales Valley, which is in the Pinar del Rio province where all the tobacco is grown. That's where the majority of tobacco on the island is grown in this one valley. Um, and it is wonderful. It's about two hours away from Havana. I would recommend that anybody going to Cuba consider spending a couple days down in Vinales because it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and it, it almost feels like you're going back in time because it's just tobacco farms and rolling hills. Uh, really beautiful. The people could not be nicer. Um, always felt safe, felt appreciated. Um, the American dollar uh, it goes one-to-one for their dollar that they have for the tourists, and the locals use their own currency, but that, that currency is only valued at one-twenty-fifth of a regular dollar. So, um, you know, you tip somebody a dollar down there, you're, you're making their day because the average, the average Cuban citizen makes only about 35 to $50 a month the way their wow. system works down there. So um they they definitely appreciate the american tourists and all tourists in general but now that uh you know americans have been able to go a little more freely here the last few years um you know europeans have been, been able to go there since the beginning of time so they're already used to those folks a lot, we saw lots of germans uh lots of british folks um portugal spain lots of different tourists from all over europe uh but now that the americans are in the mix too um the, the business down there is booming. Roads are being fixed. Uh, parts of old Havana that have just been crumbling for decades are now starting to be fixed up. They have a historic preservation program where a certain percentage of all the tourism dollars, you know, from taxes from the uh, hotels and restaurants and everything goes into a historic preservation fund specifically to spruce up old Havana. So I would imagine that maybe 10 years from now, it's already starting to look a lot nicer, but maybe 10 years from now, it's going to look even better. Um, but great trip. I'd highly recommend it. Maybe when my kids are a little bit older, uh, we'll take another trip down there because I'd love for them to see it too. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get down there one day myself. Um, it just, it, it looked, the pictures I saw uh, that you posted on Twitter and such, it, it looked beautiful. And uh, 
I love some Cuban food. Don't love their obsession with black beans and everything because I'd hate beans. <laughs> but yeah. I do I do love some Cuban food. Uh, well, as long as you like food, rum, I'm, you're going to the right spot because <laughs> they love their rum. I, mean, down I don't there, drink. That's for sure. So I, oh, no. I don't drink. So that's not going to do me any good either. But uh, last question, we'll stay on the food subject, because I met you yeah. at, uh, in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Sure. Tell mm-hmm. me your favorite place to eat when you come down here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Um, well, it's hard to knock Wenzel's, because I go every year. I, you know, it's just tradition. And that's that's about half as much as who I see in the restaurant as as I enjoy the food. So there's kind right. of a you know right. double reason for going there. But also, um, you know, Saucy Q Barbecue. Uh, there's a neat little, and I wish I could rem- remember the name of it, but a few blocks away from Lad Peebles now, now there's a little uh, bake shop. It's, an, it's like an old house that's been turned into a restaurant that has coffee and desserts and soups and sandwiches. Uh, I'm totally blanking on the name right now. I can tell you almost how to get there. It's off, uh, what is that, Virginia Avenue, uh, Virginia Street, whatever it is that runs by the stadium. Um, it's a few blocks from the stadium, but it is a great spot to run to in between practice sessions. Uh, and, and a lot of scouts, I think, figured that out over the last two years because both times I went there, there were a lot of NFL front office guys uh, all sitting in there. So that I think the word is out on that place, and I, I'd love to give it a plug, but I can't think of the name of it. So maybe you can look that up for me and <laughs> I'll have, uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> announce have, it. I'll have to look that up, and I'll I'll tweet it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. There's there's so many places. I mean, I, I see them all because I live here, so it's uh it's it's old hat to me. But there's I have some favorite barbecue joints and everything that I love here too. But uh, Austin, hopefully I'll get to see you. Get to see you down at the Senior Bowl again in January. I'll take the cross pass in a couple of years. Yeah, and and I think the new leadership down there is going to do a great job, uh, in fact, too. So I'm looking forward to them uh, carrying that torch and and continuing to make it a special event that all of us in the NFL community, agents and scouts and everybody, uh, you know, thoroughly enjoy going down there. So hopefully I can see you the next time I'm there, okay? I look forward to it. Austin, thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. That was Austin Atkinson of Atkinson Sports. He's an agent representing uh, several players in the NFL currently. Uh, He's a uh, native of Charleston, South Carolina, covers South Carolina prep sports for the Post and Courier uh, newspaper. Great guy. Uh, We talked we covered a lot today uh, about – we talked about the – Alliance of American Football and what he how he feels that's going to go along with the XFL. Uh, we talked about the uh, 2018 season for the South Carolina Gamecocks and their future quarterback to carry on Joiner, and we even talked about Cuba. So uh, a well-rounded podcast today. Hope you enjoyed listening. I want you to go back and uh, after you've listened to this one, go back and listen to some of our other ones. We talked last week with uh, Craig Stevenson of AL.com about uh, the South Alabama football stadium. We've talked about, uh, we've talked, you know, Browns, Lions, Redskins. We've talked every, we've talked a lot uh, in these last 10 weeks. So I encourage you to go to blogtalkradio.com slash deep fried draft or download, uh, search deep fried draft in uh, iTunes if that's your method of listening to podcasts. Um, and, and download it, give us a five star rating uh, if you like what you hear. Um, we always love to get some feedback. Anyway, uh, thanks again for Austin uh, coming on today. 
and talking uh, agent stuff uh, and and things going forward. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, uh, follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft, and you can find all of my work at deepfrieddraft.com or facebook.com slash deepfrieddraft. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time.